Jesus is in the temple, Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Some of you, we've all heard the story. It's the widow's mite. And uh, what we find in this story is Jesus in the temple. People are giving an offering, and Jesus is given a commentary. Now, you know, if you have a commentator on the news or someone that's through sports, what you'll do is you'll have someone talking about events that are taking place. We see this in the news. Something tragic happens. We're watching it unfold. And they're like, we're watching this unfold. And here's what you don't know. And they're going to give you the inside scoop. Same thing with sports. Like, hey, here's a couple of teams. If you'll watch, um, you know, even the football game on Thursday night, quarterback comes in. Well, he did y'all watch the game? It's pretty fascinating. He's brand new to the team and uh, wins the game in the last few, last minute, actually wins the game. And it's fascinating because that's awesome in and of itself. But what the commentator tells you is he just joined the team two days ago. Right? So what you just say? Oh, wow. Right. With more information, it brings more value to the situation. That's what Jesus is doing right here. And we don't often see this, but what he's going to do is he's going to take natural wisdom and he's going to turn it upside down. He's going to say, look, you value this, but I'm going to give you some mysteries of heaven. And so we're going to take note of it. Look, it says in verse 41, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. How many know that's just awkward in and of itself? Can we just say awkward? I mean, could you imagine, hey, it's offering time. Just go ahead and bring them out. And Jesus is just looking. He's just standing by. He's watching. And so what we see, God doesn't care about awkward if he can find some truth to reveal. See, we are the ones that like comfort. God is okay with making us uncomfortable. And so here he's making people uncomfortable, I would imagine, maybe not, but we see they're dropping in money, and he talks about the crowds dropped in money. Many rich people put in large sums, and then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called to his disciples, and he said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Now, isn't that interesting how Jesus pulls his disciples together, and what we would say is gossip, but it's not gossip. Gossip is when it's slanderous and it's not true. Jesus is going to reveal principle. And he's going to talk about what has just happened. And what I find very interesting, he's not talking about people that have not contributed. And so if I'm here, what I'm thinking is, God, I'm a contributor. Yep, he's talking about us. Because there were people in the crowd. How many know there are people in the crowd that didn't give? God just assumes that's not the topic today. What I want to do is unveil the mystery of heaven for those of you that are contributors. And so these are people that are not consumers, they're contributors. And he is saying that this poor widow has given more than all the others. Now look at what else he says. For they gave a tiny portion of their surplus, but she has given everything she has to live on. If I was going to title today, I would call it When God Talks Behind your back. When God talks behind your back. And so here we see he's having a conversation. He's bringing us into this moment and he's revealing some things to us. And if you're not careful, you'll miss it. I got to tell you, I've never fully studied this passage like I have the last month. 
And I found it very fascinating, some things that I discovered. Now, when you go and gave an, or when you would give an offering back in this time, there would actually be these metal containers. And so the metal containers would be like trumpet-shaped chests, and they're metal. And so look, show this picture. So this is, and rich people would have given silver coins. And so as you can imagine, it's time for the offering, and rich people, it says many rich people, come in with their silver coins to drop those silver coins into a metal chest. Anybody imagine what that would sound like? Ding, 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 ding. Could you imagine just rolling up and you're, you're really wealthy? You may even sit there a little bit. Dun, 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 You just kind of, so, so it's, wow. So you didn't have to be Jesus to realize that person was wealthy. And so people around would have been amazed. They would have been endeared to. They would have been impressed with the amount of noise that a rich person could make as they were giving into the offering. And so it was very impressive. And then we have this woman that if Jesus didn't see, you would almost miss because you didn't hear her drop what she had, it was two copper coins, and you probably could not have heard it like you could hear the heavy silver coins. And Jesus says what this woman has given is much more than all the rest. Can you imagine? So ding 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 ding. You know, I'm just thinking of a pinball machine. And everybody, and then this woman comes in, drops it in, and Jesus said, boom, she's got it. She has given more than everyone else. And I wonder if it's because what impresses us is not what impresses God. God's not impressed with what we find very impressive. And my job as your pastor, and I recognize, you know, this is probably the part where I'm like, God, are you sure? I got guests here. They're watching. They're here. But I'm not talking to you as a guest because today this gift, our service is a gift to you. But I have to pastor our people. And so what I'm finding and what I felt God say is make sure we assess the value of what we bring. An assessment. So, so here's what I say. Maybe the values of heaven are not the values of earth. No, but Isaiah says his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. And so God equates quality and value differently. Quality is not measured in quantity. Value is not measured in quantity. We see this in the story. So, so he's going to give us a commentary here on what God values. There's an appraisal. There's an assessment. So let me, let me say it like this. So anybody like diamonds? Diamonds are our girls. Best friend. Look, Mel's like, praise God. Now, now how many want a cheap diamond? No, 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 no. You want a nice diamond. You want one that's, that's valuable, right? I mean, otherwise, you'll go get one that's not a diamond and tell everybody it is a diamond. No, you want something that holds its weight in value. And so if you're going to go buy a diamond, you need a diamond appraiser, someone who can take what you have and assess not what you think the value is, but what the true value of what you're holding really is. So I'm wanting to bring us into a conversation where we can look at God who is the assessor and the appraiser of what we give to him. 
So think about it. What do you, what do you, you're looking for color, for clarity. You're looking for the cut, the carrot size. All those things go into assessing the value of a diamond. Think about real estate. You know, I, I'm an investor in real estate. We buy real estate. Uh, you can have a four bedroom, two bath house with two car garage over here. And that same exact footprint over here and the value be totally different. Because it's not just pick up this house and put it there and that's the true value. There's a lot of things that go into assessing the value of that property, the neighborhood, the location, the condition. And then what will happen is that appraiser makes a fair market assessment of what you're holding in your hands. And here's what I want us to see. Jesus is speaking about the assessment that God makes when we give to God from our life. He's not talking about the value in dollars. And what God values is so much different than what we value. Now, I got a story. You know me, I love stories. I got a story of a rich man. Always a rich man trying to get his wealth into heaven. Well, this rich man is trying to get his wealth into heaven. And he is distressed over the possibility of how do I take what I have with me when I die. And so he devises a plan. He's going to take two gold bars from his private vault. He's going to put it in a briefcase. He's going to handcuff the briefcase to his arm and put the key in his pocket so that when he goes to heaven, he can pull out the gold and bring it with him to heaven. Now his family thinks he's crazy, but they're like, Cool, we'll do it. So he dies, they do that. They put two gold bars in a briefcase, handcuff it to his hand, put the key in his pocket. Well, when he gets to heaven, he is thrilled because the suitcase, the briefcase made it. And so he's standing in front of St. Peter. He's got the briefcase and the key. And St. Peter says, what's, what's in the briefcase? He says, aha. He opens it up and he flashes the two gold bars to St. Peter. He says, oh, great. You brought the pavement. God doesn't value what we value. He values things very, very differently. And so he is weighing right now in front of us this situation and saying, hey, look, we got to make sure we got the value system correctly. You got a poor woman. She's not just a poor woman. She's a poor widow. So he talks about her financial status. She's broke. And her relational status. She's alone. No husband, no provider, no one to care for her, no one to take care of her. And back then in the Old Testament, even more so than today, old, or not old, but widows who were broke and poor, they were taken advantage of because there was no one to provide. There was no one to protect. And so they were considered the lowest of lows. And yet you have this as the person who has brought more to God in this moment than those who the world would say are rich. And so his comparing and contrasting is her, and then you got the many rich people. Now think about a rich person. You know, it doesn't go into all the details, but a rich person, they're successful at some level. You don't get rich if you're not successful. They're not worried about the food that's on their table. They're not worried about the food that's in their pantry. They got a car. They got resources. They got money in the bank. They got savings account. I mean, they, they're living life really well. And yet in this moment, he says, this broke woman who has nothing, who people prey on, has no status, no relationship. She has done more than all. And it's so interesting. He didn't say one rich person. He said 
all. How many know this is a story for us to study? So why is it that God is saying, look, what she gave is more? Well, because God is the one that blesses us. God is the one that gives us what we have. Now, I know we know that, but I don't know if we know that. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord makes one. So what makes you rich? It's the blessing of God. No, 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 pastor, you missed it. It's my investments. It's my job. It's how hard I work. It's what I do. It's my inheritance. No, 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 no. All of those things are good. I'm not saying you can be lazy and be blessed. The Bible talks about that. So it's not the fact of what you do, but it's a condition of the one who's blessed you. And so here we know, look, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. He adds no sorrow to it. And if God is the one that has blessed us, then we have to realize when he gives much, he expects much. So look at Luke chapter 12, verse 48. Everyone who has been given much, much will be. Yeah, and even in this translation, the one I have says demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. And, and I don't know about you, but it's, it's a little difficult. My, I have found, and maybe this is you, maybe not. The hardest time for me to live fully committed to God is when I'm blessed. Because when things are hard and I'm broke, how many know I ain't got no options? I'm praying, I'm fasting. God, I need a miracle. God, won't you help me? When your marriage is good, it's good. When your family is good, it's good. When the job is good, it's good. But then after a while, the challenge with the blessing of God is that somewhere in the middle of the blessing, we tend to migrate our hope, our faith, our trust from God to the stuff that he has blessed us with. And if we're not careful, we don't even realize it. And we find ourselves understanding that, yes, God blessed me, but not living out the reality of what that blessing requires. Now, I, I know if you're like me. Look, I'm arguing with God this whole time. I'm like, ah, here's what I know. You say, well, I'm not rich. Anybody say that? Say, well, pastor, is good. I, I, anybody look at the story, you're like, I, I relate to the poor widow. I ain't got much. Anybody? I mean, that's, we always like to go to the hero of the story. But I, but I want you to know this, and this is where I've got to just help us see a reality that we might not see. God is not going to judge you based on how you feel. God is going to judge you based on the facts. So here's what we know. According to the World Bank, these are new stats that I've never shared. Look, I found this fascinating. Almost half the world... Over 3 billion people live on less than $2.50 a day. Think about that. 3 billion people. Listen, how many, you don't have to raise your hand, how many make more than $2.50 a day? Here's another stat that I found very fascinating. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. 80%. So what we can miss is the fact that I'm not, and have you ever met a rich person? I have yet to meet a rich people. Not a person. I've met people that make millions and even hundreds of millions. But here's the problem with a rich person. If you ask them if they're rich, they'd say no, but they know a rich person. <laughs> now, I'm not rich, but I know someone who is. 
Come on, say, anybody know what I'm talking about? So, so you may make a million dollars, but I know someone who makes a hundred million. You may make $100,000, but I know someone who makes a million. And it just scales up. And so we have to just be aware of maybe I am that rich person. And if so, then there is much more required from me in the scales of heaven than I might have previously realized. And here, I want you to write this down. Jesus acknowledges the amount given, but focuses on the gift's true value. So the rich gave what? He actually identifies large sums. But he also goes in and quantifies or qualifies that statement out of their abundance. Then he tells the poor widow she gave two small coins and then qualifies that with out of her lack. So there's got to be more than just an amount, but a value system that's attached that's different than dollars and cents. In other words, Jesus is not saying, wow, you gave this amount. Jesus is saying, wow, was your gift valuable? See, and here's the problem with Christianity, and this is, and, and even the church and this whole system at times, is that you think the church needs something from you, and the reality is God's trying to get something to you. So then when you come in in that perspective, your perspective is, well, you ought to be happy to get this instead of, wow, God, you're worthy of it. Are you with me? So it causes a moment. And so then you got to weigh value. Well, what's value? Value is the cost. There was two types. First is the cost of the gift. So I don't know why I was on dresses earlier, but I'm going to be on dresses. So you buy a dress for $200. What's that cost of the dress? It's $200. That's the dollars you would pay for that dress. And so there is a tangible cost for the dress. Now, imagine this. If someone you love and know who has no money and they're broke and there's no real possibility of the future in their immediate present, if they buy you a $200 dress, how many know the value of that dress is way more than $200? It's like, why? Because that dress not only has the cost of $200, but it's also the cost of a loss of future potential. What does that mean? That means they may not be able to have dinner that night. They may not be able to pay their car note. They may not be able to pay their house note. But because they gave sacrificially, the cost of that dress is far beyond $200. Now, if someone just casually who's rich, wealthy, gave you a $200 dress, you would probably just put it in your closet, which is interesting in and of itself that in America we actually have a house for our clothes. But you just put it in your little house for your clothes and just arbitrarily put it in there. However, if you knew that person sacrificially bought you that dress, gave all that they had for that dress, you might actually put that dress in a special place. Why? Not because of the cost, but because of the value. Are you with me? You tracking with me? Let me give you another example. So say you receive a thousand dollar gift card and that gift card came from a son or a daughter who is a multimillionaire. I mean, more money than cents, just all kinds of money. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. Thousand dollar gift card. How many think that's awesome? Now, what if you got a hundred dollar gift card from a son or daughter that didn't know where their next meal was coming from. 
So in other words, they don't have enough to prepare for what they need for the end of the day. And they show up and they give you a $100 gift card. Which one costs more? The $1,000. Which one is worth more? The $100. But here, I'm going to flip the script on you even more. To us, that $1,000, somebody said, but you're looking at that $1,000 through the lens of finite. Your present situation. Your current condition. And that's the way the people were looking at the offering as people put it in. They're like, man, I ain't got that kind of money. Yeah, but now flip it and say, what if you are their dad and you are a billionaire and that person gives $1,000 and the other one gives the hundred? See, there is no need to God. See, that's the challenge in the church. You see a need in the church. You see a need in the natural. So I'm going to go meet that need. No, no. God will meet that need one way or the other. It's like the pavement of gold. He don't need your money. But what he wants to do is invite you into his journey and experience his blessing. But we've got to understand the true value. Are you with me? Okay, here, let me, let me just give you, here's something I wrote down. The value of a gift is not determined by the amount given, but by its cost to the giver. Write that down. Not the amount, but the cost. Like what is, what's, how much is the cost to the giver? And we understand that there's a personal cost. There's sacrifice. Here, here write this down. Sacrifice implies doing without something or giving something up. So think about these two categories of people. Think about it. The rich didn't give anything up. The poor widow gave everything up. That's what we call sacrificial giving. And here's what we have to understand. And, and, and I know today is like legacy offering, legacy Sunday. But it's not just in money. I think we've lost the term of sacrifice in the church or in our own personal lives as well. At least we're in danger of because when you read the Bible in the context, to be a disciple requires sacrifice. Today, we say discipleship is showing up on a Sunday, but that's not real discipleship. The discipleship that God leads us to live out is, what has my faith cost me today? Like, has it cost me anything? Did I get up early to pray? Well, why early? Because it's the first part of your day. I wish we could do it late at night and call it a day and say, yeah, that's not his system. Jesus got up, what, early in the morning. What has it cost you at work? In other words, did you stand up for what was right or did you allow people to do whatever they want without voicing God's perspective? Did you, it, it, you can apply this not just to the legacy offering, but every area of your life. Where is their sacrifice? And then I'll show you the value of the offering that you bring to God. Because your life is a living sacrifice. You with me? Okay, sacrificial giving. So here, write this down. Sacrificial giving is giving that goes beyond our means for the love of another. So I'm going to give... Not because I feel guilty, not because I feel condemned, not under obligation, but I do it because I'm madly in love with God. That's why we give sacrificially. Think about this. Why do we give sacrificially of our time, talent, and treasure? It's because, God, I love you. Think about where you were when God found you. 
I don't know about you, but it was February 7, 2003. I was strung out on drugs. It was 1230 at night. We'd been partying for five days, and I was headed straight to hell. And God walked into my bathroom, and sovereignly I had a vision where God saw, I saw a road, fork in the road, one to heaven, one to hell, and I felt the Lord say, choose now. So that I could have went straight to hell. I believe I would have died that night in a car crash. I have no idea. But I can tell you this, that there is a loving God who cares about me that didn't wait for me to answer an altar call, but actually came to my bathroom to give me the choice to repent and turn from my ways so that I might be saved. You better bet I love him, I will serve him, and I'm going to give my life sacrificially to him. And giving is just a portion of it. You see, this, that's because you'll get hung up on the money. It's the principle. What you give him, is it any value? Not what others say, but what does he say? And we follow his model, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the funny, God loved, so he took. No, yeah. God loved, so he demanded. No, as he say, God loved, so he... He gave that the extravagant gifts we give to God, time, talent, treasure, doesn't matter. It's because of a deep devotion and love for God, not because of obligation, not because you got manipulated in a moment. It's because you have weighed the assessment and the assessor of heaven and how he values what we give. And you say, God, you are worthy of the sacrificial gift that I'm going to give to you. You're worthy. So here's something now. I'm, I'm probably going to make you mad. I got it. It made me mad. God told me this, and I say God told me. Let me just check it. Look, I wrote it down. It came from within my spirit, and I tried to change it. And I changed it a couple times, but I ended up changing it back because it felt like he said, just... This is for you. So I'm going to tell you what God spoke to me for me. An offering that's not given out of sacrifice is an offering that's given out of pride. In other words, God would rather you keep your tip than to dishonor him. Isn't that powerful? See, if you think God needs your money, then you're going to make him feel obligated and like, hey, you, you ought to feel good. No, 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 no. You just brought God pavement and expecting him to be impressed. See, we, we're, I, I don't know about this. This is where I have to wait. You're not going to stand in heaven before me and your spouse and your parents. You're going to stand before God. And what we got to do is say, God, the weight of what my life has brought to you has great value because I have no longer looking at the value system the world does, but I understand the value system that you have. And David understood this. It's all throughout the, the, the Bible, but I want to just bring one David understands it. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. This is King David. Uh, he's made a mistake. He calls for a census of God's people. He shouldn't have done it. He did it. It was very prideful. God punishes not only David, but, but God's people. And so David is going to make a sacrifice to God for God to stay the hand of judgment. Please give us grace. Give us mercy. Don't kill and wipe out your people. Okay? So he's going to give a sacrifice, an offering to God. Now, you may not understand, but back then, kings are not presidents. Presidents are voted in and voted out. Kings were appointed by God. 
The land that people lived in belonged to the king. The cattle people had belonged to the king. The fields that they would harvest belonged to the king. So when David is going to make a sacrifice, he could have legitimately said, give me what you had. I got to make a sacrifice to God. And that would be legitimate. And he owned it. It would be worth it. But David doesn't do that. David almost pays twice for what he gives God once. Look at what it says. But the king replied, I'm not going to say his name because I'm not going to say his name. I don't know how to say it. So you could try it. Nope, that's not it either. No. <laughs> Just play him. Here, so it says, no, I insist on buying it. For I will not present birth offerings to the Lord, my God, that have cost me nothing. Wow. But what do you mean, David? It was yours. Yeah, yeah, but there was no cost to it. It wouldn't have had any, he understood it wouldn't have had any value. And then look at passage, get down, it says, David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the oxen. David built an altar there to the Lord and sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Look at, look at what happens. I've never seen this until I studied this out. Look, and the Lord answered his prayer. When David gave God a gift of honor, God answered the prayer of his heart. And it's very interesting. You don't do it to get, but how many of you have had a child or an employee or someone honor you? Like when you feel honored, how many know you feel generous? You're like, I want to stand in the gap for this person. I'll do whatever it takes. Why? Because the weight of what you have made them feel now begins to allow them to fight your battles. Oh, you broke, son? I'll help you with that. Oh, you don't have enough? I'm going to help you with that. Why? Because you honor me. So whatever enemy you have is now an enemy of mine. The weightiness of what you invite God to do. So write this down. A gift given sacrificially is a gift given in honor. So in other words, he paid for it. There was a cost to it. Honor means to demonstrate high respect and great esteem for someone. So it's like, I honor you. What are you saying? I value you. So basically, if we're listening to the commentary of heaven and Jesus talking, what he's saying is the rich didn't value God. This poor widow valued God. And it wasn't in the amount, but it was in the weight of the gift. So they gave out of an abundance, but she gave out of her need. So in other words, she gave everything to him. Now, am I saying give everything? That's not what I'm saying. It's the point of what is it that I give to God? What's the value of my gift? And then here, look, a gift given to God out of honor may leave your hands, but it never leaves your life. Let me explain that. Here we are, 2,000 years later, talking about this poor widow who gave two little coins. That God in his goodness and greatness, would use her as an example. Can you imagine God using her as an example? Now, this is why even when you talk about it, this is not an example where I can say, look, when you do this, God will do that. Think about the story of Elijah and the poor widow. She's going out. It's in the Old Testament. You find her collecting some sticks. She meets Elijah. God said, I want you to go to a widow at Zarephath. She will provide, which I find hilarious anyway. God didn't send Elijah to a rich man. He sent Elijah to a poor widow. Why? Because there was a miracle for Elijah 
And if she would be engaged, there would be a miracle for her. Again, God's not trying to get something from you. God is trying to get something to you. But could you imagine, Elijah, today, if I walked over to your house and you're like, hey, I said, hey, make me a cake. You're like, I am so broke. We're going to lose our house. We're all going to be, you know, put up in some halfway. We, we don't have enough. And I said, well, that's fine. That's good. But go make a little bit of what you have and give it to me first. Could you imagine the tabloid gossip? And yet the boldness of this man, because he knew, I'm not trying to take it. I'm trying to give you an opportunity to be in the middle of what God wants to do. So you begin to know the character of God, which is what's fascinating about the story. You don't, I'm telling you, I look everywhere. What happened to this woman? How did God provide? What did he do? And I felt the Lord say, you know my character. I'm trying to reveal yours. See, when you know the character of God, you don't have to know the end of the story. You just got to know God. And you can imagine, not only is God touting us or, you know, touting what she did 2,000 years ago, God provided for her in that moment. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops, your income. Then your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, what we're seeing here, and let me explain this, honor touches the heart of God. And what I have read even over the years in that passage, we, we tend to skip over because I've had people say, well, pastor, I give tithes, but my vats aren't overflowing. The windows of heaven haven't cracked open. I mean, Malachi chapter three, verse eight. And then right here in Proverbs, what's very interesting, he doesn't start off with the first fruits, the first 10%. He actually talks about the weight of what you're doing in your life. The priority before you give anything is the honor. Isn't that amazing? See, you can give the same first 10% as someone else, or, but your motive is wrong. You're doing it out of obligation. If I do this, God, you've got to bless me. Wow, okay. But then you can give that same 10%, and you're like, God, I give this back because it shows that you are first. Thank you for what you've done. God, I honor you in my first fruits. God, I give it to you willingly. And then God says, yeah, the other belongs to me. And when you decide to give me a free will offering, because that's what an offering is, a free will, no obligation. He says, I'd like for you to do it with honor. And when you give it with honor, now look at what happens. Then your barns will abundantly be filled and your vats will overflow with wine. It's pretty fascinating. Deuteronomy chapter 8, 18, and I'm almost done. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to get wealth. Isn't that amazing? So if what I have is really because of God, then when I choose to give a free will offering, that gift needs to be an honoring gift to God. Because I'm just convinced God's not concerned about you just tipping. That's, that doesn't make God happy. That doesn't move the heart of God. And so if you're going to do something, let's feel the weight of what we give. Here's something else I wrote down. How we give demonstrates who we trust. And then let me give you two more scriptures. And you know God's taking care of her. And it really bothered me. You know, I studied to say, God, why didn't you tell us what happened to her? I want to know. You know what I mean? It's like you gave me this. And again, I just, it's like because you know my character, you already know what I did. And I also thought he said this to me. What I do for her is different than what I do for others. 
It's, it's not a gift to give or give to get. It's like, God, it's the weight. It's just, I give it to you because you're worthy. And look at what Philippians 4.19, my God shall meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And in that passage, Paul is referencing to the Philippian church the fact that a gift was given out of this need. And God is saying, look, you gave, but I've got you. Your generosity has got my attention, and I'm going to move on your behalf. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So we know that's the heart of God. So this woman didn't give sparingly. So we know somehow a harvest of God's goodness, whether financially, relationally, whatever it was, we know it came back to her life. And here's what I love about God. He is faithful to his word. And I wonder today as we get ready, we're going to get ready to give this the legacy offering. Here's my whole point. I don't want you to feel manipulated like I pulled on your, I was very slow today. Your pastor can preach and I did not preach. I did not raise my voice because I don't want you to be manipulated. I want you to ponder. I want you to think about it. I want you to weigh it out because here's what I know. I'd rather you weigh it out now than get to heaven having missed it because you were judging by the wrong scale. And I'm going to leave you to this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. Each of you should give what you have decided in your hearts to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. And here's what I'm telling you. This is what I have done. And, and I ask myself the question of this. Will my gift be of great value to God? Here's another question that I asked myself and Phyllis as we were giving this, the offering today. Does my gift cost me anything? And then here was another question that I wrote down. Have I gone without or given something up to give today? And I want you to know this. This is not just a legacy offering deal. This is your life deal. God, did, did today I give anything up for you? Did today, what about my job? God, did it cost me to be a Christian? Did it cost me to be a disciple? And if we'll weigh this out, what will happen is you'll cross over into eternity. And together we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not corporately, but individually. And that's the greatest desire that I have. That God, you would help us live a life that you are worthy of.